Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR855 on the AM dial. And in the world of covidness distancing, which is to say that I'm not in the studio, Dale's not in the studio, Jay's not in the studio, but the dogs are still in the studio. The defenders of government schools are still here defending the rights of government schools. And aren't government schools in the news today and yesterday and the day before? Oh, my goodness. Anyone that thinks that government schools are the most important thing and the most essential service in Australia apart from hospitals. Oh, yes, that's because they are. Um, here at the Dogs, we've always said so. It's No one's jumping up and down about private schools, except, in fact, to st- tell them to open because, you know, they should do the right thing. But certainly for the government schools, it's a matter of duty and it's a matter of making sure that Australia does the best that it can in these difficult times. Now, Jean will be giving us a press release just in a little while on public school teachers. Yes, those teachers who find themselves on the front line of what's going on at the moment. And um, are they being protected enough is something that we certainly consider because when we defend state schools or defend government schools, we are defending the kids in there and the teachers and, of course, the parent communities as well. Um, we, because we live in the world of covid Talking COVID all the time is really what we have to do, at least for the next little while, because there's some serious issues that are being brought up by what's going on, not just here in Australia, but around the world. But without further ado, um, into the covidness mess that will be the DOGS program for the next little while. You will forgive us, of course, if the sound quality is not what you would expect if we were in a proper radio studio. Um, but if you can hear us and our voice goes out, that perhaps is the important thing. And we would like to thank all of our loyal loyal listeners who have been listening over the years or indeed the decades or even the months or weeks to 3CR because the community now is more important than ever. And 3CR or 3 Community Radio, um, we have a duty as well. And to fulfil our duty, we carry on as best we can. But I'd like to introduce um, the other members of the Dog Show today. Firstly, Jean, it's good to have your company. Thank you. Good to be here. And for the first time in a little while, because she's been off on a on a Covidness holidays, Dale, our producer's back, and she'll be sharing some, some some things with us later on as well. Lindsay Connors has written an interesting article, and I'd like to share that with the audience as well. But without further ado, um, I'd like to introduce Jean, um, because... The, the plague has not stopped her world-famous press releases. Now, I've been counting. There's been well over 800. In fact, this is press release number 836. So let's hear about that, Jane. But before we hear about that, um, let's hear some messages about what's going on at 3CR during these covidness times. You're listening to 3CR. We really are in unprecedented times and 3CR, as your local community broadcaster, is trying to do our part to minimise the spread of the coronavirus throughout the community. At the front of our minds is protecting the most marginalised and vulnerable, but we are still here. And we'll continue broadcasting 24 hours a day with radical alternative content throughout this period, but things will sound a bit different. Some programmers will present their shows on the phone, and we'll be finding creative ways to bring you our regular programming. So stay tuned, stay safe, and be kind to each other. 
3CR are selling Kofia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Well, here is press release 836, Public School Teachers. Public school teachers find themselves in the front line of the COVID-19 catastrophe, like health workers, taken for granted, yet indispensable. They are servants of the public, pushed around from pillar to post by a coalition government that has treated them for decades with disrespect, forcing them now into the front line of growing inequalities in our social system, and that's been going on for at least half a century. The main concern of many public school teachers in the current situation is the welfare of both their disadvantaged students and the safety of both children and teachers without sufficient funding, technical support or protection from the virus because the PPE is just not yet in the schools. But not so the private school teachers. Many of these teachers have been enticed into overfunded, taxpayer-funded, private institutions which treat them, in the end, not as teachers but servants to wealthy or aspirational parents. And aren't they finding that out now? Mm. Not unsurprisingly, wealthy private schools are finding that they haven't got fee-paying parents paying fees. They're taking their children home and they're out of work. So they are demanding further taxpayer funding in their current fee-raising crisis because the wealthy parents are keeping their tech-rich, savvy children at home. And the moment of truth has arrived. Firstly, the private schools have resisted staying open at all, reacting with disdain as the Federal Minister, Tian, is telling them to stay open because, guess what, he pays them to stay open. And secondly, at least two wealthy private schools that we know about, Clarendon College and Haileybury, have stood down staff in cost-cutting measures in response to the pandemic. Clarendon has stood down teachers at its year nine campus on King Island and Haileybury has stood down its music teachers. Robert won't be too happy with that. After all, teachers in private institutions are only servants and they can be hired and followed. So in this new COVID-19 world, where inequalities mean the difference between life and death, as they're finding out in New York very quickly, and where governments are forced to view public health and education workers as providing 
essential services, unions have stepped up to protect their members. On Wednesday, the 15th of April, public school educators came up with a press release. And on Thursday, the 16th of April, Prime Minister Morrison was forced to recognise not only that they exist, but that our public school teachers are indispensable to the well-being and the future of this nation because the children are our future. He's now forced to plead with them to return to the classrooms, if need be, putting their lives on the line. Now, we've gone to our own press, but I discovered the Huffington Post, which is an American paper, had this to say. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has issued a direct plea to Australian teachers asking them to return to classrooms and to be, listen to this, great heroes for Australia. In a televised address to the teachers of the nation, the Prime Minister said, that their place in society has always been critical, insisting that teachers must join cleaners, supermarket staff and health workers on the front line to fight COVID-19. There are people doing just amazing jobs, great heroes, he said. I don't know about you, but I'm reminded of that, that um, very interesting popular song he was only 19 uh, when, the, when the young people came back from the First World War that were apparently the heroes. But nevertheless, some teachers wish to survive to fight another day for public education. And this was the reaction of Queensland teachers to Mr Morrison forcing them into the front line on the 15th of April 2020. And I'd like to read out what the Queensland teachers have to say about their situation when they are asked to put theirs and their children's lives on the line and be, quote, heroes. They have said, don't let our schools become the next ruby princess. And I think we all know what that means. Teachers and school workers are angry and appalled at Scott Morrison's TV appeal, an appeal that amounts to little more than a demand that school staff put themselves, the young people they teach, their families and everyone they come into contact with at risk from COVID-19. Now, there's a group of school staff organising resistance in the pandemic and they're a new group that's formed by teachers and educators, and they are in Queensland. And this is what they have to say. We stand alongside the thousands of our colleagues who rightly express their rejection of this attempt to use us as little more than glorified babysitters. Morrison is determined to put the profits of business before the health of 500,000 adults and 4 million students in our school systems. Around the world, we see the terrible consequences of delays in implementing adequate safety in school systems, with 50 teachers 
and support staff dying in New York alone in the past few weeks. Morrison claims that expert advice is that schools are safe. Yet according to UNESCO, over 91% of learners and 196 countries have their schools closed currently and many epidemiologists in Australia and internationally argue that school closures are one essential element in lowering the speed and rate of infection. The demand to return to business as usual in our school systems is uttered in almost the same breath as the plea that Australians should not become complacent about social distancing. This absurd Jekyll and Hyde policy is a recipe for potential disaster, states one Victorian special school teacher who has chosen not to reveal her identity. Wherefore schools allowing young students essential workers who cannot otherwise remain at home to be admitted. However, for us, essential workers are those employed in ensuring maintenance of life and health of society. For Morrison and the state leaders, their definition is simply anyone essential for profit. This is a dangerous definition and if applied, we'll see far too many attend school to allow for safe distancing. The government has provided billions to prop up profits. They can afford to reduce our risk of exposure by providing all staff and students with masks, hand sanitizer, and soap in every classroom and reducing the staff state, the student staff ratio. But the best harm minimisation is school closure. Schools are like cruise ships, permanently docked in every neighbourhood with our students boarding and departing every day, most of them travelling by public transport. Morrison doesn't care about student education and he clearly doesn't care about our health as he's putting our lives and the lives of students at risk by pushing for schools to resume business as usual. School workers are going above and beyond to support our young people and their families in this crisis, as we do every day. Putting nearly 5 million Australians back into Ruby Princess-style Petri dishes because the profits of business are prioritised over our health is just not on. Now, this letter raises many basic questions. Personally, I think it's a very interesting letter because our teachers are in the same situation without their, um, their support mechanisms, particularly for their health, as the Russian soldiers were at the front with the German war machine in 1970, but it raises many basic questions for the dogs. If our public schools offer essential services, then they're worth funding, especially in our disadvantaged communities. Secondly, if our public school teachers are essential professionals, now and for the future generation, then they, together with their students, are worth looking after. 
because after this is all over, we're going to need them. We need to look after their health and the health of our students. Thirdly, Morrison still doesn't get it. The coalition government have used and abused public school teachers for several generations. Something goes wrong with our education system, who do they blame? They always blame the teachers. Mm. And they still want to put them on the front line without the requisite support. But this time, it's a bit different because actual lives are on the line. And fourthly, why should our public school teachers and children be considered dispensable and disposed of in this fashion? So that is all I have to say. Uh, Robert and Dale, I'm sure, will have a lot more to say because the teachers in Australia are being placed in an almost impossible position by this coalition government. Yes, thank you very much, Jane. You've been listening to The Dogs Programme here on 3CR 855 on AMDAL, the podcast on the www's uh, through 3cr.web.org. Or indeed, you can get it at, actually at our website. That's adogs.info. That's um, adogs.info. Now, one thing I have to say about what Jane's talking about is that the people of Australia, as opposed to the politicians, are supporting the teachers. In Victoria, two days ago, 3% of the children returned to school. 97% of the children did not, because the parents thought that for their safety, for the safety of their children, and indeed for the safety of their loved ones and their fellow Australians, they decided to keep their children at home during this very difficult time. Now, of the 3% that did turn up um, to school, they were placed in a situation where they were at a desk with a computer doing the same lessons as the children at home and being strictly distanced even while in the school. Um, in terms of the teachers that were turning up to school, it wasn't a full suite. Um, the teachers had organised for themselves to have a skeleton staff such that their duties as teachers in terms of being a substitute parent and responsible for the welfare of children, could be maintained at all time. But what was functionally happening, as Jane's quite rightly saying, is that this isn't a lead from our, from our political masters. This is a lead from the people of Australia who have decided at this time to support their teachers by keeping their children at home. But what Jane was also mentioning is true. There are not the physical resources, there's not the personal protective equipment for teachers available. They don't have masks. They don't have thermometers. Now, a thermometer is a weapon. If you can get the temperature of a child as they walk through the school gate and say, look, I'm afraid you've got a temperature, you're really not right to be coming to school, then that's just a simple precaution. The government's not providing that to schools in Victoria or indeed around Australia. And it's those simple things, those simple things, those resources provided by our, our governments and political masters that we would expect in this situation, which haven't been provided. And um, it's not as though they didn't know this was coming. It's not as though they didn't know this was coming. There's been a few months' notice now. But we'll be continuing on. Um, Lindsay Connors has got something to say, and I'm actually going to get Dale to share that with us as well. But 
We'll do that, I think, after a little bit of music and, of course, some more station announcements.3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make and sure I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things like And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming. 
um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like, it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 Welcome back to the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, if you're listening to us in these business times, you're probably realising that my voice sounds a bit different. That's because the Dogs Program is recording remotely. Um, we are all in different places, Dale, myself and Jean, and we are getting the show to air because community means everything in these times, and three community radio stays on air. And we've got a treat here because Lindsay Cummins has written an interesting part, a piece about education in these difficult times, and they only get Dale to share it with us. Um, because personally I like her voice, also she's worth listening to. So, Dad, take it away. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Yes, I've got the article here by Lindsay Connors entitled Learning the Value of Teachers' Work. The shock of dealing with the realities of the coronavirus pandemic has forced our Prime Minister to realise that schools are fundamental to our democracy and that teachers are on the front line of society and should be valued accordingly. As a result, his words have marked a welcome change from the previous rhetoric of coalition governments in Canberra. Their indifference during the Fraser years to public schools and the teachers who work in them turned into hostility during the Howard era. The pandemic brings to mind the counsel from the book of Ecclesiastes that there is a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. While refraining from embracing and from many other normal activities, I've found myself with the time to think about those teachers. When I think about the 1980s, from my perspective, as a then member of the Schools Commission, I recall that they were dispiriting times for teachers. Although we had a better educated teaching force than had existed for our parents or grandparents, we seemed vaguely dissatisfied. Regular reports on teacher education were commissioned and routinely ignored. It was a time when the Australian community seemed to be saying to our teachers, we don't know what it is that you should be teaching and we can't really be bothered to give the matter much thought anyway, but when we see what you are doing, we somehow know this isn't it. Since that time, there have been advances. While you might say it was the least we could do, we have taken the bother to develop national teaching standards. And these, along with curriculum standards, provide a useful point of reference for the profession itself and the general public, so long as they are not used, used as a straitjacket. It is hard to believe that it has taken a global pandemic to waken some leaders and sections of the general community to the fact that teachers are on the front line. How could it have been otherwise, given the fact that schooling is one of our society's few universal and compulsory activities? The ongoing shocks and ripples that affect families tend to find their ways 
in find their way in school. I am always bemused when young people argue that many teachers lack real life experience. If you want to see real life up close and on a daily basis, work in a school. Teachers and principals were on the front line when the AIDS epidemic reached Australia in the 1980s. They are on the front line every year through the worst flu months. There are few of us who, as parents, could say we've never decided when it suited us to send a child to school when they were off colour and possibly contagious, with scant regard for the effect on their teachers or fellow students. The UN Conventions on the Right of the Child states that in all actions concerning children, the best interests of the child shall be a primary consideration. Most of us would probably consider that it should be the primary that it should be the primary consideration. During the current pandemic, our Prime Minister had recognised the place of schools in the economy and of teachers standing in loco parentis while adults are at work. But he has gone to great lengths to emphasise that children have a right to education and that learning delayed is all too often learning denied. Teaching is a highly intellectual endeavour. It takes brains to work out how to coax young people to abandon the many things that attract their immediate interest and to turn their hearts and minds to acquiring the knowledge and skills that wiser heads know will benefit them throughout their lives. It can be an almost boringly repetitive task, but for the fact that the daily routine is constantly interrupted. Good teachers are lifelong learners. I recall the time when I was having a coffee with a very dear friend when I could see she was dying to tell me something. I assumed it would be a piece of juicy gossip. Instead, she looked at me and said, I've had a great week, you know. I've really worked out how to teach climate to year eight. This was a woman well into her 50s who had spent all her adult life teaching history and geography. And she probably had had to vary those lessons for the year eight because the engagement between teachers and students is that specific. Teachers down the generations. For example, teachers teach down the generations. For example, I've been thinking of the teachers who taught my mother in the years between World War I and the Depression. Like so many women of that generation, she grew up in, a material, po- in material poverty and left school at 14. But like so many of the, those women, she left school having had teachers who sent her into the world believing that she was smart, a good writer. And when, as parents, the chance came for their own children to have a full secondary, full secondary schooling, they seized it eagerly. For some children, schools are the only place where they are safe and secure and where they have the guidance and support of adults who behave rationally and responsibly. Teachers. I think of the wonderful education my grandchildren are experiencing in their suburban public schools, of the many kindnesses they experience from teachers and of the patience that teachers must have invested in the regular life performances in these schools to find a way to include each and every child and yet to produce an event that is bearable for jaded parents to watch or even a stunning event like the New South Wales School Spectacular. 
I think of the music teacher who has turned one tall, gangly youth in our family into a fine player of the French horn. There is a wealth of research that confirms that what keeps teachers going is seeing their students learn. What is just as which is just as well because their young students are generally not old enough to give them the kind of appreciative feedback which grateful adult clients often provide to their doctors, nurses and other professionals. I don't recall ever acknowledging in any way the huge debt I owe to my high school teachers who worked to keep me on task when my mother died several months before I was due to sit the, new, the old New South Wales Living Certificate. Back to the book of Ecclesiastes. It also reminds us that there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. The coronavirus has highlighted the flaws and faults in our education policies, the anomalies and the inequalities. It also provided cover recently for the easy passage through the National Parliament of the Education Amendment Act, which can only serve to exacerbate these problems. But this is not the time to speak of these things. And if it were, there would need there would be a need to keep a sense of proportion about the effect of these recent amendments. After all, the Act itself was already befouled with special deals, a repository for the bones of bones governments have thrown over the years to insatiable and self interest self interested sectional interest groups. And it will have to wait until the time is right to express disbelief that disbelief that amending the Act to expand ministerial discretion to create even more of such deals came so hard on the heels of the sports rorts affair. But this is a time to keep silent on such setbacks. The global pandemic has reminded us that schools carry the weight of our fondest hopes and deepest fears for our children. This is a time for quiet reflection about the need to put behind us a time where children and their teachers have been used as pawns in an ugly game of wedge politics that exploited the flaws in our federal system of government at the expense of our overall educational performance as a nation, and in particular of those students who are most dependent upon schools for their hopes of a constructive and rewarding teacher and future, and of their teachers. The time will come to speak about building the bridge to the education system our students and their teachers deserve. Governments now provide funds equivalent to the total national salary bill for teachers across both public and private schools. We need a system where those funds are used for their proper purpose, to deliver the appropriate amount and quality of teaching across our whole school system, according to such criteria as equity, efficiency, effectiveness, transparency and accountability. When this crisis abates, we will find that there has never been a time of greater need for a school system that gives all our children and young people an equal chance to gain the values, knowledge and skills to help make them rational and wise, to help them make rational and wise decisions collectively and in their private lives about how best to deal with the many problems that will confront the world they share. 
and that was from Lindsay Connors, uh, who has held several senior positions in education, both at the national level and in New South Wales. Yeah, thank you very much, Dale, those wise words. It, it, it's a fundamental thing about what teaching actually is. Very rarely do we just have do we get to discuss philosophy here on the DOGS program, but this time of, of, of these covidness times really do encourage us to think about the bigger questions about what on earth is going on and what people's jobs actually are. And teaching is one of them. Um, we'll have more of the DOGS program after... This. 3CR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Viruses, like flu and coronavirus, spread when tiny droplets from coughs and sneezes land on surfaces that others touch. You can help reduce this risk by coughing or sneezing into your elbow or upper arm. Or use a tissue and put the tissue in the bin straight after. Then wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Together, we can help stop the spread and stay healthy. Visit health.gov.au to learn more. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 and AM Dog. It's good to have your company. Now, education in these forbiddenness times, it's a difficult thing. Um, as I said, um, this week just gone, 3% of the state's population's kids went back to school. But, and here's a but, but it was not an even distribution across the state. Because what's happening, or what has happened, and what is a natural result of the way our education system has been, I don't know, grown in an unequal way over the decades, is that disadvantaged schools around Australia, around Australia and in Victoria in particular, uh, risk falling further behind under the coronavirus shutdown because the state government has what is what can only be described as a middle-class perspective on what's going on. Now, it's not me saying this. It's actually a principal of a school. Um, Loretta Piazza, who's the principal of Epping State School, says that she's been inundated with requests from families to send their children to school, despite government directives to keep children home where possible. Now, Dr Piazza, the principal of Meadow Glen Primary School, says 60 of her 540 students have attended school on just this Wednesday gone, compared to an average of 10 incomparable schools in middle-class suburbs. Dr Piazza and her team have already spent weeks trying to provide laptops and have internet access to many families in need um, in their community. She says, and I quote, what happened here, and no offence to the government or the education department, she says, because I have great respect for the people there, is they're coming at this whole thing from a very middle-class perspective. Given we've got 1,600 schools in Victoria, there are many, many disadvantaged schools like ours. We're really just chasing our tails. We've got all these issues that your normal middle-class schools, like 
Bourbon or, or Errol Street in North Melbourne or even Preston don't have. They've got 10 kids turning up, whereas we've got 50 and 60. Now, Julie Podbury, the president of the Australian Principals Federation, said the shutdown would be much more difficult for the children from disadvantaged schools. It would really come down to the parents' ability to guide them through the process. Now, thousands of Victorian families have begun to navigate the challenge of home learning, with classes officially back just this week gone. Now, some children, indeed most children, logged on from home, while others arrived at near-empty schools. And some did nothing at all because things just didn't quite work when it came to the technology. And under state government guidelines, vulnerable children, or students whose parents are essential workers, are allowed to attend school, but most pupils are being encouraged to study from home. Now, schools across the state reported a few teething problems on the first day of Term 2. Dale Pierce, the principal of Bendigo Senior Secondary College, said he expected things to actually get tougher. He says, and I quote, As a parent, I think we can now see how difficult this is going to be. And we've and we're educated, reasonably well-to-do parents. Others who cannot navigate the system for all sorts of reasons, including, including languages, will struggle a lot more. Now, Neil Rodriguez, principal of St Kevin's Primary School in Ormond, said students were raring to go after a holiday in isolation. The kids have been starved with their friends over the last few weeks, and you can see the social side, which is really important. Now, What's happening here, of course, is the middle-class approach is that, well, of course we're keeping our children behind and we're keeping them out, which is the right thing to do. But it is the essential workers who have to go and work. It is the nurses. It is the cleaners. It is the tram drivers. It is the train drivers. In fact, it is the teachers um, who have to go to work, and they are the ones who have kids in state schools. The kids in state schools are going to turn up because their mummy and daddy are going to go and save Australia. So it's this strange, it's this strange irony. Mm. Now, I'd like to contrast that with the other end of the scale. Now, we know the richest families in Australia send their children to schools that are part of what is commonly called the independent school sector. In fact, it is, and it's proven to be, without a shadow of a doubt, the dependent school sector. That's not a euphemism. That's not me being rude, because the independent school sector were told by Dan Tan, he said, open your schools or we'll take your money away. And then the independent school sectors responded by saying, well, if you take our money away, we'll make sure you don't get elected. And the independent school system, as of a couple of days ago, demanded the federal government withdraw the threats and guarantees of vital funding. Because it is those schools, independent schools, of course, which have the least to do in this situation. But on Thursday, just, just gone, Dan Tian, the education minister, wrote to all independent schools ordering them to provide in-person education to children for terms two or risk losing their federal funding. Now, they did not like this. <laughs> But they went one step further, and I think this is fascinating, Dale and Jane. Something I've discovered in this little press release, and I'd like your comments on it if possible, is saying they want guarantees of getting the money that they deserve as private schools 
even if. They don't even open. They don't provide no, the no, 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 get this. Even if their enrolments fall through the year. Oh. They want to be funded on the technical enrolments they have now. Because there's going to be a lot of enrolments coming into the public sector. There will be. There will be a lot of people saying, well, I'm not sending my child to St. St. Posh's or or, or (laughs) something about the grammar. If I'm not sending my child to school, then what value am I getting? Why should I pay fees? What what competitive advantage does my child actually actually have? So I'll take them out of the private school, put them in a public school, and when everything gets back to normal, I can be posh again, and there's lots of money flying around, I'll put them back. Well, the independent school sector are demanding the federal government guarantee that they continue to get money for students, even if those students... Students they don't have. For students they no longer have. That's the I ultimate in rorting, isn't it? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm reporting this to you people here out, out there on our community radio because this is happening at the same time as state you, school teachers are turning up to work. Are you surprised? But they are essential services. I think this proves, without a shadow of a doubt, that it is not an independent school sector at all. It is a dependent school sector. But it's also an irresponsible school sector. Mm. It is is unaccountable and irresponsible. Now, the independent school sector said, oh, we're we're so hard done by, the declaration was unnecessary and very disheartening to us. They were disheartened that they weren't going to get their billions of dollars. Jeez, they want to try being in a public school. Universities are excluded from the lower threshold of 50% revenue decrease um, and all that sort of stuff as well. And well said, oh, we need your taxpayers' money. It's vital for our Christian schools to do Christian things. What about the music teachers, Robert? Oh, the Harley Berry offloader. I just think it's absolutely fascinating that they want to get paid for all the students who might not turn up because the independent schools know full well that they have preyed upon sort of neoliberal capitalist ideas that have borne up our culture and government for 20 years. And when all that falls apart, they're going to be the first for the high jump. And they know it. Yeah. And they're going, oh, but we've got to have money even if we don't have the kids because if we don't have the money, then, then bad Christian things in fact, then, I don't think that's justified, do they? Then oh, values. It's absolutely fascinating. <laughs> value is very... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I find it hilarious. No, it's shocking. There's one thing I want to share with you, um, dear, dearest, dearest listeners, um, which I think is absolutely fascinating. It's happened in New South Wales and it's gone under the radar and it's got nothing to do with COVID-19. It's got nothing to do with coronavirus. It has to do with... Smart kids going to smart schools, and I think it's absolutely fascinating. I'll be sharing that with you after this. Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam mine, there is an old sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kolta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. The old frog and lizard, I really know. The lizard returns protestable 2020 
Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of Autonomous Zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. Community radio is your antidote to social isolation. Stay connected and listen to 3CR. 855 AM, 3CR digital and streaming and podcasting online at 3cr.org.au. Welcome back again to the Dodge Program. Now, I promised you some bit of education news from Australia that doesn't involve COVID. And for me, this, this, this bit of information, which has just popped through the cracks in New South Wales in the last little while, I find interesting. I find it funny and I find it slightly hilarious, but it's kind of sad as well. Now, on the face of it, all that's happened is that in New South Wales, selective school entry scores have fallen. What that means is that in New South Wales and Victoria, if, if you want to get into McRobb or you want to get into Baldwin or you want to get into Melbourne High, these are all state schools, but they're selective schools. They're, 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 they're schools for the smart kids. They're state schools. They're government-funded. No private investment, there's no anything like that, but they are selective. Now, to get into these schools, you have to do a set test. And the test is of how smart you are, and if you do well in the test, then you get into the school. Now, there's a cutoff, okay? So kids that do really well, you know, they're going to get in, and then there's this fine line where maybe you did well enough or maybe you didn't, maybe you got into... In, into, the, into the school or, or maybe you didn't. Now, these entry scores to get into selective schools have fallen, which means on the face of it, we've all got stupider, <laughs> which is to say that the, the mark you've got to get on the test is less than the mark you had to get on the test last year, which means that in a year, Everyone in Australia has got a little bit stupid because nobody's done as well on the tests. It might mean something else. Sorry, Jean? It might mean something else. It might mean that large numbers of pretty clever students realise that they're just as well off in their local high school as they are in going to a selective school. So there's less people going for the test. And that, of course, is true. And the other that, thing that, I mean, I mean, that of course is true. There are so many state schools around Victoria. If you can't get a good education there, you can't get a good education anywhere. They are certainly really, because we do great state schools every week. There's lots of great schools. Selective schools are not just always good just because they are, but they are a thing. And they put a bunch of kids who can pass a test really well in a school together and, you know, they, they generate reputations of academic excellence. In fact, these schools top the academic excellence chance every year. So in a year, why have all the kids got stupider? Now, in New South Wales, there's a reason, and that is they changed the test. And they changed the test in a very specific way. 
they changed the test so that those people who had crammed for the test, those people who had been tutored for the test, those people who had prepared for the test with the the well-earned money of their parents giving them tutors and support, the tests have been changed as far as possible to exclude those factors in assessing the child's intelligence. That is to say, they had attempted to make the tests cheat-proof. They attended, they, they, they changed the test to make them so that you couldn't actually cram for the test. It was about who you were, not about who you'd been tutored by. It was about the answers that you would give, not the answers that you'd been trained to give. Because being trained to give an answer and then giving it is not, is not actually a, mar- a marker of intelligence. Mm. So, I mean, Jean, you know what I'm talking about. James Roos College. Their entry yeah. scores fell by around about three to five percent. Ford Streets fell by about the same. I wonder what Mr. Um, Latham would have to say about that because he went to James Roof. That's all right. You went to Ford Street. Yeah, so did you. Now, but because it's been interesting and they've done this, they're actually going to plan a suite of more changes which will be phased in over coming years including improving the psychometric design of questions so that they adapt to students' abilities, making the weighing of English and mathematics abilities more consistent and reducing the predictability and the coachability of the tests themselves. Also to address the gender gap in the selection process. And I think this is absolutely fascinating because a spokeswoman for the New South Wales Department of Education said the changes to the test also include increasing the degree of difficulty, but, but there was not enough evidence to suggest the small changes that contribute to the cutoff. The cutoffs are happening that the lowering in scores is that all the people who spent all the money on all the tutors to get the kids into the schools in the first place have come across a test which is specifically designed to counter their sneaky ways. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that these parents getting their tutors are cheating. I'm not saying the kids are cheating. That's not what's going on. <laughs> Just that what it means is you don't have to be rich to get into a selective state school. And at the moment in Victoria and New South Wales and Queensland, where the majority of these schools are, you look at the socioeconomic breakdown of the school, there are no poor kids. There's 1% to 2% of kids in a state school from um, an impoverished background because poor kids can't afford the tutors because the tutors is what gets you into the school in the first place. Now, what they're saying here, and it's, I think it's rather interesting, Christina Ho. Now, Christina Ho has come up with some really interesting research over the last four or five years. I've been watching her. She's an associate professor of social and political science. She's not an educator. University of New South Wales, I think. No, University of Technology, Sydney. Well, yeah. Which is really interesting. So I think we'll watch out for her in the future. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have to end up finishing on that little piece of delicate information. But if you're interested in what I've been saying, um, please get in contact with us at www.adocs.info or at 3cr.org.au. And if you do, we're still there. Dogs keep going. 3CR, proudly a community radio station in a time when community 
is everything. Um, we'll have to come back next week and tell you more about all the interesting things that are going on. But until then, from Jean, myself, and Barb, it's bye for now. Hi. Great. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.